We were two weeks ago in Romans 9. You graciously tolerated our being gone last week. Uh, our granddaughter had a fifth birthday this week, and so that was important for us to go spend some time with. Oh, we had a good time with her. She told uh, on, on Facebook, her mother said this morning, uh, Lucy said, I, I can't get it exact, but she said, uh, I ate Moses. And it was all sweet, and it had pretzels in it. And Julie said, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but she's five. Romans chapter 9 now. Uh, we have begun looking at this passage. And it is a difficult passage and often painful for Christians. We got down through... Oy vey, that's a little late. Um... We got down through about verse uh, 13 last time. I want to set again the stage, what's going on in this passage. We're talking about uh, the, the, the place of Israel in the plan of God. Does Israel have any place in the plan of God? And the answer is, as he will say throughout these chapters 9, 10, and 11 that belong together, Yes, Israel has a planet place in the plan of God, but right now they are set aside. And the reason for their being set aside is that God has, has brought them under judgment. And so, as we talked about it, these la- that last heading on the screen is the last one that we looked at last time we were together. Uh, it's a bit wordy, I apologize, but further from Isaac's two sons, God made a distinction by grace between Jacob and Esau um, uh, without reference to their works so that Esau was uh, made Jacob's servant. I asked, was there something about Esau that made him unworthy of God's grace? I didn't ask it quite that way, but it's what we were aiming at. And the answer is yes. Because he's a human. Now, I have to ask the correlating question. Is there something about Jacob that made him worthy of God's grace? The answer is no, because he's human. The most important thing for us to keep in mind is that we have come through eight chapters of Romans. Yes? And in those eight chapters of Romans, we have seen two things uh, that are relevant to this present stage of our discussion. The first thing is in Romans uh, 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed against all wickedness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Wherever humanity goes, we suppress the truth of God. Yes? The second thing that's critical for us is Romans 10, uh, 9-18. We'll not quote that entirely, but just a couple of portions of it, and actually we'll have to get into 19 and 20. But there is none righteous, no, not one. So the question, in fact, Charles Spurgeon was asked the question, why did God hate Esau? He said, I have no problem with God hating Esau. My problem is, why did God love Jacob? What is there to love in Jacob, frankly? Think about this guy. (laughs) 
He's the father of Israel. What's he like? He's a cheat. He's a scoundrel. He's a manipulator. I don't like Jacob before Genesis 32. Because in Genesis, before Genesis 32, he, he thinks he can control everybody. He, he uses people and abuses them. Until uh, two things happen. Uh, first, he who, who lies and manipulates a brother and a father gets manipulated and lied to by a, a father and sisters. Isn't that fascinating? second thing that happens, he wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night. God breaks his self-sufficiency symbolically by putting his leg out of joint. And he, and he came into the land again after 20 years, uh, limping on his, on his right leg. Um, it's a fascinating thing. In Genesis 28, <clears throat> when Jacob left the land, the last, the last event that we read about in Genesis 28 of Jacob in the land of Canaan is that he spent the night at Bethel because the sun went down. At what other time would you spend the night? <laughs> Why does it say he spent the night in, in, at Bethel because the sun went down? That's, that's what the text says. Yeah, but, but why would you say he spent the night because the sun went down? But the sun doesn't come back up in the story until Genesis 32 when he crosses the penile limping on his right leg. So Jacob lives in night, in effect, for the 20 years he's on in Haran. This is the way the story presents Jacob's life. Are you with me here? Jacob comes back into the land still cheating, still lying, but broken. So from that point on, virtually everything else you hear him say from chapter 33 on, well, mid of chapter 33 on to the end of his story. About all you ever hear him say is how bad things are for him and how everybody's against him. Even when his daughter was raped, all he can talk about is how bad his life is. Anyway, this, this is not a man to like. So the question cannot be, why should God hate Esau? The question is, why should God love Jacob? What are you thinking, Jen? Well, it's, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's so ironic. Why? What's going on here? And the answer is, God reaches into a sinful humanity. How many of us, according to Romans, how many of us are caught in sin? Aww. All of us. How many of us merit favor from God? None. None. If that's the case, the issue is not, why doesn't God act fairly? And I appreciate our pastor raising this issue this morning in, in the sermon. Why doesn't God, maybe it wasn't the pastor, maybe it was Steve Farrar on the recording we were listening to in the car on the way to church. I don't know who it was. Somebody raised this issue. Why isn't God fair with the lost? Brothers and sisters, he is fair with the lost. He's giving them exactly what they want. They want to be separate from God. But if God is life itself, to separate from God means to separate yourself from life. If God is all goodness, to separate yourself from God is to separate yourself from all goodness. That God would give these people what they want is the fairest thing he can do. 
to give us salvation is not a matter of fairness. It's not a matter of justice, except to Jesus. Because Jesus bore our sin on the cross. To judge us for, for our sin would mean that Jesus didn't pay enough. So we've sung that song. <clears throat> Jesus paid a good bit. A fair amount to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it pink. No. We sing, haven't we, son? Jesus paid it all. Is that true? To be just in forgiving us our sins. Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. I'll have to come back to it in a minute. I've got a comment I need to make. As you read through a book in the Bible, think about each chapter as giving you presents that you need to pick up. Are you with me here? There are ideas that you need to hold as you go through the rest of the book. Are you with me here? So chapter 1 gives you presents that you, you take in your arms, and chapter 2 and 3 and so on. Are you with me here? You need to keep those ideas in mind as you go all the way through the book. So in Romans 3.25, For the demonstration of his righteousness because of the passing over of sin beforehand in the forbearance of God. God gave Jesus because he passed over sin in his, in his forbearance in, in Old Testament times. He didn't give all sinners what they deserve. He gave them what they didn't deserve. He gave them hope. But that's only verse 25. Verse 26 goes on to say, and for the, re- the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time. And I need a, a slight paraphrase of the rest of the verse so you'll get the point. So that he might be righteous even though he justifies the one, the, the one who has faith in, in Jesus. How can he declare wicked people righteous? It's all he's got. It's all he's got. <laughs> and in, this, in the succeeding, in the, in the following passage here in Romans 9, we're going to begin to see why. Why does he do this? Rightly, he would condemn the whole human race. If you want justice, you can have justice. But justice has to do with condemnation, not with hope. If you don't want justice, if you want life and all good, then you have to find a way, the way that God has defined as the way to connect with all good, with all life, and that's through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So... Paul says here uh, in um, verse uh, 14, and we, we went down past 14 for a little bit last time, but let me pick it up there. Um, verse 14. What then shall we say? This is Romans 9, verse 14. What then shall we say? There is not injustice with God, is there? If your answer is, well, it sounds like it, it's because you don't understand the nature of a created world. See, the first thing we learn in the Bible about God is what? Very first thing, he created. You know what that means? It means he gets to define all reality. And that means I don't. And furthermore, in Genesis 3... When the man and the woman tried to define what was good apart from God's definition, 
it brought death. Yes? So by rejecting God's definitions, we enter into death. Sixto, what are you thinking? Well, that's the whole crux of the matter with society nowadays. That we're, we're, we take him to task for work. Why are you on this? Or yeah. That's just as it flows. Uh-huh. You're, you're the creator. When I, when I ask, why should this happen to a member of my family? Where is the goodness of God? And the answer is, you have done the same thing even Adam did in Genesis 3. You said, I know better what good is than God does. Yes, brother. We want to shape God in the vision of what we want Him to be. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's dangerous because we don't want to accept some mm-hmm. kind of doctrine sometimes. It, it frightens us when we think about family members, when we think about friends. Yeah. And so we tend to think of God, many of us, as more of a hand wringing, uh, <laughs> you know, not fully in control. Yeah. He wants us to come to Him. And the yes. Is, he's in control. Yeah. That's just the bottom line. Um, was it who wrote the knowledge of the holy Tozer A.W. Tozer says in uh, the opening pages of his book the knowledge of the holy um, uh, to think low thoughts of God is the essence of idolatry when I conceive of God other than he has revealed himself to be then I am an idolater and most of us in one way or another, at various points in our lives, even as believers, enter into idolatry because I want God to be good on my terms. I want good as I define it, not good as God defines it. Um, the, uh, the three Hebrews in Nebuchadnezzar's court, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow, right? Uh, uh, face Somebody chided Spurgeon for telling so many jokes in the pulpit. He said, lady, if you just know how much I was holding back. (laughs) Well, I never hold anything back. So, (laughs) Uh, But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, going into the fiery furnace surely must uh, must have seemed the worst of all possible things to have to endure. But faith in God was more, it was a higher priority for them than even the pain of dying a terrible, fiery death. Yes? And what looked like it was going to be a horrible evil turned out to be an amazing good. Yes? Because God delivered them. I can't, I can't, because I don't know enough. I can't define what is good. And that's what these verses are going to tell us. What then shall we say? Is there injustice with God? Of course not. Why would he say of course not? Because God who creates knows what justice is. Only he knows what justice is. Justice is what he is. And for me to say, therefore, but that's unjust, is to misunderstand. In fact, it is to become an idolater. So verse 15, for he says to Moses, and we looked at these verses two weeks ago, I will, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. Um, Glenn, why aren't you still in Houston working on every house in Houston? Uh, 
I, did he say something I didn't? You have limited resources. So you, you think you have the right to give your resources where you want and when you want? <laughs> yes, sir. So my we went down to the neighborhood canvassing the neighborhood, we, we could have spent the entire time canvassing and just making a list and we would have helped nobody. Yeah. So if if a human has the right to choose how he gives his mercy, how much more a God who is himself justice? Does this make sense to you? We don't think that people who as we asked you two weeks ago, do you give Christmas presents to everybody you know uh, at Christmas? And you said no. I said, do you even give presents to all your family members at Christmas? And you said no. Is there something wrong? Or is that, do, do we even think people are, are evil who their third cousin doesn't get a Christmas present? Are you with me here? Twice removed. Third cousin twice removed. <laughs> We don't think there's something wrong. Why, do, why must God be held to a different standard of justice than we are? In fact, God becomes the standard of justice. Linda? Well, and along with that, I'm thinking, if we expect God to be fair to us, we'll all be condemned. That's right. So, to Moses, he said, I will show mercy, uh, I will show grace to whom I will show grace, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. So then, pardon? Uh, it's what we said earlier. If we wanted fairness, we'd be all condemned. So, uh, 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 verse 16, So then it is not of him who wills. Remarkably enough, your will is not, in fact, consulted in the terms of God's plan. He simply does not consult you. If he consulted you, you would be at least equal with God, if not higher. But since he is the ultimate, he is the only infinite being, he knows what good is. Folks, you can't know the difference between good and evil until you know all. I can't tell what good may come from horrible events. Can I? Can I? And yet good does come from horrible events, doesn't it? You have lived, most of you, long enough to see that. Yes, brother. Well, Paul wasn't consulted on the road to Damascus. No, he wasn't consulted on the road to Damascus. <laughs> so, Yet he says, come let us reason together. Yes, because he's, he's reasoning with Israel about the Mosaic Covenant. He's not, he's not here reasoning together about who will be saved and who will be lost. Yeah, it's just the application. Yeah. Though your sins be as scarlet. Yeah. 
Yeah, but he's, he's reasoning about the Mosaic Covenant, which is a, a covenant that puts Israel in a, in a somewhat unusual condition of, of having to do something in order to be saved. To, 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 let me say it differently. Do something to enjoy the blessings of God. So it's not of him who wills, nor of him who shows effort, but of God who shows grace. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, and here it's going to get real hard, and it's going to get worse for a few, for a few verses. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this reason I raised you up, that I might show in you my power, and that my name might be announced in all the earth. Does God have the right to do that? Couldn't there have been, wouldn't there have been probably another brother in the family that could have sat on Pharaoh's throne that, that, that year when Moses went back? Would it not have been possible for God to so manipulate the DNA and the family history of this man that when Moses came to Pharaoh, he would respond positively and not negatively? Do you not understand, folks, that your responses are heavily influenced by your culture and your, your upbringing and your background and your heredity? Do you, not rem- do you not realize how much that determines you? Then God has been preparing you since Adam. Think, how, think what that means about the grace of God in all the centuries that have elapsed since Adam for you and me. So then, he shows grace to whom he wishes, and he hardens whom he wishes. We talked about hardening two weeks ago, and we we said hardening is not making good people bad people, because there aren't any good people. It's taking the restraints away from bad people to give them more opportunity to do the wickedness that's in their hearts already. I do not realize... I, I... As much as I know about myself after these years of my life, I do not know how much wickedness is really in my soul. Given the right circumstances, it can come out, but in the mercy of God, he has protected me from that. But as our nation goes, it seems more and more wicked. The roots, folks, you know this. The roots were sown a long time ago. The seeds, you don't sow roots, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the seeds were sown a long time ago. But we're bearing the fruit now. It's a fruit of rejecting what we have known, what has been revealed of the gospel. And when people reject light, the darkness is all the darker. You have done this at home. You wake up in the night, yes, and you, you walk into another room where you turn on a light. As you walk into the room, you can see things in the, in the house. There's not a light on in the house, but you can see, yes? But you turn those lights on, when you come back, the physical explanation of this is apparently there's something in our eyes called visual purple. This is 47-year-old information, so if it's wrong, please just chalk it up to that. But, uh, but uh, visual purple bleaches out with light, and so when you turn that light out, how much can you see in the same house that you walked through to get to that room? Well, far less, yes. When you're in the light and you reject it for the darkness, the darkness is all the more deep. <clears throat> this is hardening. 
God is giving us over to the darkness that's in our souls. That's Romans chapter 1, 26, 28, 20, sorry, 24, 26, and 28. So, verse 19 now turns to the new material that we need to take up today. Um, 19 to 21. You will say to, the, to me then, well, why does he still find fault? Who has resisted his will? Why does he find fault? Folks, it's, he's see this verse nineteen presumes the interlocutor who responds here presumes that most of us are pretty nice people. In fact, many of us really are nice people. We're just not good people. Yes. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Yeah. But God didn't make me this way. Sin has made me this way. And I love my sin. Folks, do you you wish Eve had not eaten that fruit? Do you wish Adam had not eaten that fruit? But that's the point. Every one of us, every time we sin, say they did the right thing. I would have done it too. I would not have been better in their circumstance they were created without sin. I can't. I have never existed without sin in my life. That was brought out by Swindoll today in the passage of Matthew 23. The Pharisees said, no, we would not have killed them. Oh, yes. Of course they would. Of course they would. They killed Jesus. Yes. Is it what he's really saying or asking is, if, God, if grace comes from God and has nothing to do with us whatsoever, then we're asking, well, then how does he, why does he still hold me responsible? Yeah. I can't do anything to affect myself. But Paul's answer is going to be different. See, the, 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 the interlocutor is saying, why should I be held guilty in this? Because right. you are guilty and you like it. You want it. We love our sin. Do we not? I guess so. Okay. Are you going uh, in a... In a in a uh, an auction, okay, making a bid. <laughs> who who might bid? Uh, uh, so verse uh, nineteen, you will say to me, then why does he uh, uh, still find fault? Who has resisted his will? Do you have in verse twenty, O oh man? All right, that's important. That word O oh, is important in classical Greek. Um, when you addressed somebody, you always said O. Oh. That was the norm. If you were upset, you left that word off. If you were excited, if there was some strong emotion going on, you would not say, oh. This is, though, Hellenistic or Koine Greek. And in, in the time, this Greek started sometime in the 4th century B.C. and developed through to the 1st century when the, when the New Testament was written. That word, oh, was not the norm in Koine Greek. The norm was to simply say, uh, Man, what are, you, what are you trying to say to me? Are you with me here? When he says, oh man, he's upset. and he's, got some, he's, he's really troubled about this. Oh man, who are you, on the contrary, to respond to God? Uh, the thing made will not say to the one who made it, will it? Why have you made me thus? 
Or doesn't the potter have right over the clay out of the same lump of clay to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Does a potter have that right? Potter can do that with clay. God can't do that with us. Well, but, but the potter is dealing with inanimate clay. God's dealing with humanity. But I want you to understand, we are closer to the clay than we are to God. That is, God is infinitely beyond us. We were made out of clay. <laughs> are you with me here? Well, we're made out in his image, but we're made out of clay. What, what did he? God formed the man out of the dust of the earth. So we're made out of out of dirt. So we're closer to the dirt than we are to God. He is infinitely beyond us. We are not infinitely beyond the clay. Are you with me here? If the potter can do that, can make any kind of pot he wants out of a piece of clay that he was made out of. Cannot God make out of any vessel that he wants, a vessel for honor or a vessel for dishonor? It's coming right out of the Old Testament. And things that God said to Israel. Isaiah 29, Isaiah 45. Now it's going to get hard. If it wasn't hard up to this point, it's going to get hard now. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make known his power, bore with much long suffering? The vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. And in order to make known the wealth of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he had, or vessels, you have vessels of mercy. Uh, I, I, I want to continue translating this the way we did. Vessels of grace, uh, which he prepared for glory. Uh, he never even completes the statement in verses 22 and 23. He starts it. He gives two conditions, but never draws a conclusion from them. The conclusion was, must be, how can you respond to God? Does God have the right out of one lump of clay, that is the earth, the dirt of the earth, to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What would, what would motivate him to do this? Well, verse 22 is important in verse 23. First, in verse 22, God wants to make known two things, his uh, power and his wrath. Yes? Are you with me here? And second, verse 23, he wants to make known his, his grace. Um, does God have that right? Not only does he have that right, he has no other option. Let me explain why. If God is an infinitely wise God, would you grant that he is infinitely wise? Is he, is he infinite in all of his being? Right? If you learned the Westminster Catechism growing up, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Okay? Those three that we mentioned first, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, are then qualified by his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He is infinite in his being, he's infinite in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, and so forth. Are you with me so far? Yes? If God is infinite, can he create an infinite creation? 
can't be equal with him. So the answer has to be no. What does infinite mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, not really. Not, yeah. The word... Okay. Good. I'm going to give the etymological sense to the word infinite. Infinite. What does finite mean? Limited. Uh, finis in Latin means um, uh, boundary or, or limit. And infinite means there is no boundary, no limit. So I can't even say that he exists forever and ever and ever and ever and ever because that would, that would suggest passage through time. He's measured by time. He can't be measured, as Glenn rightly said. Um, the, this is, the, this is the, the doctrine of the immensity of God. We use the word immense to mean huge beyond imagining. But immense in, in theology means cannot be, cannot be measured. So if he is infinite, he lacks all boundaries, there can only be one thing that lacks all boundaries. Anything else will be bounded by him. So can he make an infinite creation? No, it's not possible. So any creation he makes has to be finite. True or false? True. If it's true, then can he reveal all his infinity in a finite creation? No. Well, if he can't, and he's infinitely wise and makes a creation, he has to have a purpose for the creation. Yes? Tell me about this order of, the wor- of, of creation in which we live. Well, we can say it's material, yes? And uh, there are all kinds of different animals and plants and things in creation. We're learning more and more about the things in creation. Quarks and black holes and yes and all those strange things that physicists are coming up with now Um, but also I know that it's a creation in which sin exists did God do something foolish that allowed sin to exist in this creation No, I want to say yes, but no, I have to say no. Yes? God doesn't do anything foolish. Why not? Because he's infinitely wise. Infinite wisdom cannot, cannot do foolishness. If that's the case, then I have a world in which sin exists. Why does it exist? Okay. There's a, you're right on track. Let's, let's go with this a little farther. Because man chose it, we also said. Is that why there's sin in the world? Why did man choose? Why, why did man have the opportunity to choose? Uh-huh. So it's not because of man's choice. Did God, when he created, did he know that he was going to create a garden? Some of you are not so sure. Did he know that he was going to create a garden? Did he know that he was going to put a tree of life in the garden? Did he know he was going to put a man and a woman in the garden? Did he know he was going to put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Did he create the serpent? And he knew he was coming. And not only did he know he was coming... 
he, well, he didn't make him come. God is not the author of evil. Folks, do you have to create lameness? If God creates all things, did he create lameness? Yeah, I didn't ask that. Uh, did he create lameness? He did? Adam was lame? I didn't ask that. I asked, did he create lameness? I didn't ask that. Did he create lameness? No. He creates wholeness, and lameness is a debilitation from wholeness. Are you with me here? Folks, nothing is as bad as it can be. Nothing. There is still some goodness in all evil. That's what makes it all the more evil. If all the goodness in, in a thing were, were subtracted, the thing would cease to exist. Do you apply that to Satan? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, he, he, has to, he has life. Not life as God defines it, but he still exists. The, uh, the, the issue for us is this, then. If he created the, the world with the possibility of sin, was it merely a possibility? Turn, turn to Revelation 13.8. Your translations will go in different directions here. Um, Revelation 13.8. It's a long verse. Um, All those who dwell upon the earth will worship him whose names were not written in the book in the book of life. Now, let me stop here. Um, there's a phrase uh, from the foundation of the world in your verse, yes? Some of your translations will read, probably most of them will read, were, were not written in the book of, of life of the lamb slain from the... I'm sorry. I, I can't even think how, they read, how it read. Uh, whose names were not written from the foundation of the earth. Uh, so, so which one does the, does the phrase from the foundation of the world, is it placed with written or is it placed with slain? Slain. Most of our translations re- read that way. In this place, I think it must be read that way. In Revelation 17, 8, it's different. But here... Um, Jesus is the one slain from the foundation of the earth. Is the foundation of the earth before or after sin? Before? Why did Jesus need to be... Why did God make a plan to slaughter Jesus before the foundation of the earth? He, he was planning it. Why? Back to Romans 9, 22 and 23. To show his two things, his glory, but it can't show, he cannot show his infinite glory in a finite creation. So he has to choose what aspect of his glory he's going to show. And in that, in that creative act, he has chosen as an infinitely wise God who always does, he always chooses the best possible means to achieve the best possible goals. Could there be anything else that's wise? Choose the best possible means to achieve the best possible goals. Could anything else be wise? Not, not true wisdom. Then he has an ultimate goal, and that is to show his grace. And brothers and sisters, you know enough about grace to know grace cannot be demonstrated without sin. 
So this is the best of all possible worlds to reveal the grace of God. Angels have never experienced personally the grace of God, as far as we know from Scripture. And if that's the case, how will the character of God be revealed unless he reveals it in another creation? Not the angel's creation, but our creation. But if everybody got grace equally, really wouldn't know what grace was. You could tell me, God would say, well, I just gave you grace. Thank you, I appreciate that. Not sure what that means, but it's great to get it. I'm glad we got it. But if everybody got grace equally, it could be mistaken for love or mercy or compassion or kindness or any number of other things, but it could not be known for grace. And here's why. Nobody would know what the sin of the human race really merited. Do you, do you really? I, I don't. Do you really think you understand what we actually merit as sinful people? Uh, I, don't, I don't comprehend it. And we won't comprehend it finally until the judgment. And this, is, this is fascinating to me. I, I, I ponder these things. And I probably have a wrong illustration, but it's as close as I can get for now. You know that Paul says that we will judge the angels and we will judge the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Are you aware of this? What if, what if each of us is, a, is assigned to a courtroom? I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What if each of us is assigned to a courtroom and we are there holding court and all the sinners that we are called on to judge are brought before us and as we go through the, the docket, just one after another comes up for judgment. What if every one of them has sinned exactly as I have? And I have to pronounce the judgment on them. I get revealed to me over and over again what my sin merited. And then I come to know what it was that Jesus faced on the cross when he bore my sin. Are you with me here? And I have to pronounce not only that these people are guilty as charged... But I have to pronounce the sentence on them. Folks, without that, I still would not know what grace is. I think the Lord saved me when I was seven. Um, I've walked 62 years in the grace of God. 30 of those years, I, I didn't really understand grace, nor did I particularly want it. But, but, but out of those 62 years... 30 of them, I, I, 32, I have come to understand more and more of what the grace of God is. If that's the case, it's taken me 62 years to figure out. And I still don't understand it. I, 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 folks, my book's coming out. I can't believe it. It's astonishing. Book on Romans is coming out. Uh, It'll be probably early November when it comes out, and it'll be available on, on um, Amazon. It, its title, as far as we know at this point, if, it, if they don't change it, is Accept One Another. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know what it'll cost or anything, but I'm just excited. This, I, can't, I never thought I would publish a book, and here comes one out, amazingly enough. Uh, pardon? I know. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'd get a book published. That's a different... Uh, we all get free 
Um, uh, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the point here is, it's taken me 62 years to get to the point. Oh, I was going to say, when I was writing the book years ago, a friend said, you need to go summarize an appendix at the end, summarizing what grace is. And I thought, that's a great idea. I'll do that. And I had a marvelous outlining program on my computer. It's, it was so intuitive. It really worked. Not like Word. But I started typing in ideas and hitting the, the return and typing in ideas. And the more I typed, the more I realized I needed to type. And I kept typing. And I thought, mm, I can't do this. I, I don't understand grace. I can talk about it, but I don't understand it. Uh, so I would just have to rewrite the book <laughs> for the appendix, and that probably isn't what anybody would want to read. So I quit, and I put it away. I didn't, didn't pursue that. The point is, folks, if I'm 62 years into the process and I still don't understand grace, how will I understand it if I never see what I really deserve? And until... By the way, unless there are sinners who get what we deserve, we won't know what grace is. So I have to have a dual revelation of the character of God in this creation. If his purpose is to reveal grace, then he has to have sinners. Jesus is the, is the, the one crucified from the foundation of the world. If that's the case... His plan was for sin from the very beginning. He does not create it. He is not responsible for it. But he is the one who uses it for his own ends. I've used this illustration before. I'm sorry to, to repeat it again, but I don't know a better. You walk into the kitchen. The three-year-old is sitting in the floor with a butcher knife. And you grab the, the knife away from the child and scold the child. Maybe slap the hand. Yes? Yes? No! Don't touch! Then you wipe off the butcher knife and cut up some meat with it. Isn't that a double standard? And the answer is yes, and it ought to be. I ostensibly know how to use a butcher knife, and a three-year-old doesn't. God knows how to use sin for good. I don't. Are you with me here? So what if God wishes to show his wrath and make known his power? Upon the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Now that word fitted can be interpreted one of two ways. Either they fitted themselves. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could take refuge in that? Or they were fitted by somebody else. The problem is the fitted themselves uh, translation of the form is perfectly legitimate in terms of just what's in Greek. The problem is that, that form or that, that use is almost never used in the New Testament. Only a very few times is it used. And when I'm looking for an out in a theological problem, if I appeal to a rare use of a term or a rare use of a form, it's unsound. should go with the more common. Much more common is the passive sense. They were fitted for destruction in the context who fits them for destruction. God does. He's the potter. We are the clay. Well, not only that, God is fitting the righteous. And he's fitting. Yeah, and, and verse 23 then takes up the other side. And that he might make known the wealth of his glory upon the vessels of grace that he prepared beforehand for glory. 
Who, who can respond to that? Who can raise an objection? If God is the definition of justice, we can't let that go. We've got to hold on to that. If God is the, de- uh, ju- uh, the definition of justice, if he is the definition of good, if he is the def- definition of love, you don't get to define it. I don't get to define it. It has to be in God's hands, and I really don't want it anyplace else. Because you're going to define it the way it will suit you best, and it will not serve me well. I will define it the way it serves me best, and it will not serve you well. Look at our world. Tell me that's not true. Uh, it's time to quit, and I've got to, I've got to quit. If we can talk about it after class, then let's do that. So what are we left with? We've got a God who, for an Israel that from its inception, from the first days we meet them in Egypt on, they are people like Jacob. Grumbling, complaining. I remind you that grumbling in the Old Testament is the first step to uh, to rebellion. And if he chooses some out of Israel, can can we charge him with injustice? No. The other way would be cheap grace. Let's close with prayer. Father, if what we're saying today is true about you, then you are far greater and far more awesome. And by that, I don't mean just wonderful. I mean you strike fear in the hearts of those who who know you and know your glory. You are far more awesome than we dreamed you were. And if that's the case, Father, lift us out of our idolatry and let us see you as you are. Let us know you and indeed, Father, only in knowing you can we trust you. So, so teach us to trust that when you are working on our behalf, it really is for our good. You said that in chapter 8. If it's really for our good, then there are things all, in all of our experiences that were, we thought going through them were so bad. But you have brought so much good out of them. Can we not trust you now? when hard times come, that we can, we can know that even in such hard times, you're going to bring such glory that we can hardly even imagine it. Father, uh, raise our eyes above our personal conditions and our personal wants and desires. Give us a heart to desire what you long for. And let us see that to glorify you is the most healthy thing I can do. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.